You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, if you've been with us, you know that we have been in a series on the letter, the book of James, and we come to the very last few verses of the last chapter of this book. So we're wrapping up this series today. And, uh, you know, as I was thinking about the message this morning in this passage, I was just reminded once again, reminded once again and so appreciative of the fact that we're getting some sun this week. Yeah? It's going to be 93 degrees today and it gets hotter from today, right? It's going to be a nice hot week. Love it. We don't get very many of these here in Oregon and especially in the metropolitan area. So when they come, I love them. I'm a native Oregonian. I love my rain, but I live here for the sun when it comes a couple months of the year. So very, very excited about that. So we were not with you last weekend. Jamie and I um, were in Idaho. We went to see our youngest daughter, Kaylea, who is going to grad school at Idaho State. And while we were in lovely Boise slash Meridian, Idaho, it was over 100 degrees every day, the exact kind of weather that we're going to get here. So it was hot. And so one of the things that you get to do when you go to Boise is um, you get to float the Boise River. And so we decided, yeah, we got to do that. It's really hot. So we got some tubes and stuff and got down there about mid-morning at the put-in place. And there's um, a very well-organized, well-thought-out float that they have for you to do if you choose to go with the masses. And it takes about two hours, hour and a half, depending on what the water level is running at. And I can tell you from personal experience, the Boise River is cold. It is very cold, but on a 90 plus degree day at that point, which was eventually a 110 degree day, it was epic. It was fantastic. It just felt so good. So here we are floating down this river, a river we've never been on, but honestly, it really is a float. I wouldn't even call it a rafting experience because there's just three sets of really what are ripples, maybe a couple little waves. But the rest of the time, you're floating. But we were moving right along. There was a lot of cross currents and a lot of undercurrents. And, you know, you do have to navigate and figure out where you're going. And we came to the last chute of ripples, only these were more waves. It was actually a drop-off. It was a man-made, human-created drop-off there. I'm not sure why, but it was about two and a half, three feet. So, you know, you drop down into a wave or two, and, and then you're done. So we were talking and, you know, enjoying our, our kids who were on some other tubes, and not really paying attention the way we should have. And we began to come to the center of where this drop-off was going to be. And there was a pretty big wave there that we actually wanted to avoid. But all of a sudden, it's on us. And so we dropped down into this trough. And unfortunately, what we didn't realize is we hadn't inflated our little tube as much as we should have and could have. And so we dropped down into this trough, and it tacoed. And all of a sudden, Jamie's sitting in my lap as is about a 1,000 gallons of water. I mean, it's just pouring in, and it's like, holy cow. And it was one of those defining moments where you realize, we didn't intend for this to happen. How did we get here? How did this happen? How did we get to this place? All that flashed through my mind in about, you know, a millisecond, as all this water's pouring in, and we are just staying there in this current for some weird reason, and just all this water's coming in, and we're trying to row, and we can't. And I thought, how in the world did this happen? And I thought, that is illustrative and indicative of this passage we're going to look at here today. A passage that really captures a number of conversations that I got to have with some of you 
over this last week of Vacation Bible School. One of the many things I love about Vacation Bible School is that it brings all of you to the building pretty consistently all day for about a week. So I get to see you and spend time with you in ways that I don't ordinarily get to, and I, I love that. And with that comes conversations. And these are four different conversations that I had. A conversation about um, a person who has basically deconstructed their faith. They no longer believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and they don't trust the Bible or believe that that's really valid or God's truth. And they've come to the point where they don't want anything to do with church, and so they've, they've exited church community. And this person who's telling me this story, you can just hear their heartache for this loved one who has walked away from church and really from the Lord. And then I'm talking to another person who's married, and their spouse has decided they no longer believe in Jesus Christ. And they've decided they're, they're done with church, they're done with faith, and the other spouse who was talking to me is saying, I didn't sign up for this when I got married. Well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond to this? And then it's the story I heard from a grandparent about a young adult who has grown up here at Grace. And, you know, one of the really fun things and rich things about Vacation Bible School are the number of students and young adults who were serving this last week who have grown up here at Grace. They came to Vacation Bible School as little kids and then kids and then bigger kids, and now they're giving back to these kids, which is just so rich and so awesome. But this grandparent was telling me about a young adult who's grown up here at Grace, and they went away to college, and they too began to deconstruct their faith, and the, and the current of friends and the cross-current of culture has gotten them to a place where they've been dragged away. And now they don't want anything to do with the Lord either. And then all of us can probably think of those national leaders who lead a church or they lead an organization or they lead some kind of Christian entity who all of a sudden, it seems, say, I don't really believe in Jesus anymore. And so I'm going to walk away. And they do. And in each of these circumstances, if you're like me, you're left wondering, how, how did this happen? How did we get to this place? What, what, what led to this? And even more importantly, how do we respond? How do you respond to someone who has wandered away from the faith? Well, that is exactly where James is going to go as he ends this letter. He's going to speak very definitively and very powerfully to this. And I think if we stop for a minute and think, all of us are in proximity to something, someone. Most of us know someone who has walked away from the Lord. Who is that person who comes to mind for you? So how do we respond? Well, this passage is going to help us with exactly that. So if you have a Bible or you want to open the Bible on your phone, go to James chapter 5. I'm going to put this in the context of the passage that our Gary Bersiers preached out of last weekend because it really does need to flow together and you need to see the, the arc of this and what James eventually comes to in verse 19. But we're going to do business with this reality of how do you respond to someone who's wandered from the faith? So this is what verse 13 picks up with again. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And we've been doing that here this morning. Is anyone among you sick? Then let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. 
the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, there's a number of things for us to do business with here in, in verse 19. But as we do so, there is an arc that we see that's playing itself out here in what we just read. James has been talking very practically, if you've been with us through this series, about what true faith looks like. How do you live out your faith? In chapter 1, one of the themes we looked at is people who listen to God's word but don't do anything with it are deceiving themselves. That, as chapter 2 illustrates, true faith always leads to a changed life. If you love Jesus, you are going to be changed. Chapter 3 says, if you want to know what's in your heart, Pay attention to what comes off your tongue. Chapter 4, necessary warnings to those of us who can be proud and arrogant, calling us to repentance. And now chapter 5, speaking directly to rich people who were directly oppressing others, what it means to suffer patiently, oaths, the prayer of faith that we looked at last week with Gary, and then wanderers now. And what's so interesting to me Interesting to me about the book of James, about this letter, is that it doesn't follow the model of most first century letters of this kind. Most first century letters and most of the ones in the New Testament follow this, this arc or this model. There's an opening and a greeting and a thanksgiving and the body of what's being said and then a closing. And James doesn't do that, especially with this last verse we looked at that talks about wanderers. It's like, where, where does this come from? Did he run out of parchment and just ended the letter? Did he run out of paper, you know? It's just a really abrupt ending. But actually, the more I've thought about it, it's not. He's been talking to a people who are struggling to put their faith into action. So, of course, he's going to talk about this reality. And in this verse, there's just a number of things to look at here. And the natural question is, as we read this, who's he talking about? Who's he talking about here? Well, this is still addressed to the church. He's saying, my brothers and sisters. So he's talking to Jesus followers. And he talks about wandering. And what's interesting about this word wander is we actually get our word for planet from this word wander. And the reason I learned is because to the ancients who did not understand the laws of science like we do now, they would look at a star or a planet and it would seem to wander and kind of stray its way across the sky. Now we know that there were these unseen forces called gravity that were directing its path. And so that's where this word to stray or wander comes from, is from a planet that seems to stray its way across the sky. 
But there is this gravitational pull that happens for all of us who know and love Jesus Christ. It's these cross currents that we continually can find ourselves caught in. And really, we're up against three that will try to move us from knowing and loving Jesus. One of those is this broken world that we live in. 1 John chapter 2 talks about this broken culture around us, this world that tries to drag us, pull us away from following Jesus. Or our own sinfulness, our own selfishness, that's the other. And then the third is our adversary, the devil, the evil one. So we have these cross currents that are currently pulling at us. And so here are some currents that have also been pulling at some brothers and sisters, evidently. So again, who is he talking about here? Well, certainly there were people who were hanging around the church, and that's the way it should be, who didn't know Jesus. Do we not want people who don't know Jesus to come in our community to see who Jesus is so that we can introduce Jesus, be Jesus to them, so that they can have the hope and the joy that we have by knowing him? Of course we want that to be true. It was true for this group of people. There were folks who probably didn't know the Lord, who didn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they had kind of wandered away and, and, and fallen into some really difficult things. But this is also about people who seemed to know the Lord, who were part of the community for many years or for a really long time, and then they just seemingly walk away. And this is probably also written about people who really do genuinely know and love the Lord. And they seem to come to this point where they wander and, and walk away. And there's discussion and debate among scholars about who is this written to. And it seems like it could be all those groups. But what we really need to be clear and certain about together is this, this is not talking about someone who loses their relationship with the Lord, or to put it another way, who loses their salvation. Scripture is really clear about that, that once you enter into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, he's never going to leave you. That relationship isn't based on your behavior in terms of you, don't, you aren't saved by what you do. You're saved by what Jesus Christ has done for you through his death, burial, and resurrection, and your response to that. So once saved, always saved. But we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've got a lot of other ground to cover. In the back, I have a write-up for you from an entity called gotquestions.org. You've heard me reference this before. But it talks about and shows the verses that talk about the reality of once you know Jesus, you're, you're always saved. But this is talking about a people who haven't lost their salvation, but they have left it. They've left the blessings that come with it. And all these groups have this in common. They are wandering away from the truth and from a right relationship with God through knowing Jesus Christ. And so we are called to pursue them. Now let me make you a sale here. Isn't that the responsibility of pastors like me? Why is that your responsibility? If you know and love Jesus, why is this not just about me as a pastor, it's about all of us who know and love the Lord. That if there's someone who we know who has wandered away or walked away from the Lord, whose responsibility is it to go after him? Ours. Let me make you a sale. You ever wander away from the Lord? Yes. 
This is your story. This is my story. No one is born into the kingdom of God. You have to be born again into the kingdom of God. Meaning, no one starts out in right relationship with God. All of us were wandering at some point. Every single one of us. Even if you grew up in a Christian family where everyone knows the Lord, at some point, you were wandering before you knew the Lord. So the reason we pursue other wanderers is because we were once one. This is your story and and this is mine. Therefore, it's our responsibility. Isaiah chapter 53, I read it to our production circle this morning in verses 4 and 6 in the Old Testament there. It talks about that we're all prone to wander. All prone to go astray. And all of us certainly were before we knew the Lord. So here's the reality is that when we were wandering, when I was wandering, before I knew the Lord, he was pursuing me. And he was pursuing me through the people around me. And the same is true for you and for anyone who knows and loves the Lord, who eventually makes that decision to receive him into our lives. God's heart is for the wanderer because his heart is for you and his heart is for me. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three incredibly powerful stories. He tells the story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one wanders away and he leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's the heart of God. He tells a story about this widow, this poor widow who loses some money and she searches everywhere and finds her coin and she's so excited, she calls all her neighbors together to celebrate. That's, again, the heart of God. And then the story that probably all of you are at least familiar with, the story of the prodigal son who leaves, who disgraces his dad, who wanders and walks away from everything and then comes back. God's heart is for the wanderer, and so should ours be. So it begs the question once again, so what does this look like? What does it mean to pursue a wanderer? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. Let's start there. What is this not about? Well, we don't pursue wanderers out of anxiety. For 40 years, I prayed for my parents to come and know the Lord. And in those years, I had to do a lot of battle with anxiety. Because I just, I so badly wanted them to have the joy and the hope and the peace that we have. And honestly, there were seasons where I was extremely anxious about what if they don't know the Lord? What if they don't ever make that choice? And that struggle with what's in my control and what's not in my control and, and trying to do battle with that, it produced a lot of anxiety. But what does Philippians 4, 6 in the New Testament say? Do not be anxious about anything, But in everything, by prayer and petition, submit your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We do not worry people into the kingdom and we don't worry wanderers back. It doesn't work. But something else we can default to is anger because in our dismay and in our discouragement or even in our anger of someone saying, I don't believe what I used to believe and just everything that comes With that, it can be so easy to pursue someone in anger. I remember when I was in high school, um, after really feeling compelled that I needed to force the issue with my dad, I had this 
conversation with him that I wish I would have never had because I was angry. I mean, here is my dad. He had grown up in the church. He knew the truth. He had chosen to walk away. And I confronted him about it very inappropriately and set back our spiritual relationship for years because I, I went after him in anger. That doesn't work either. We don't boo people back into the kingdom, right? We woo them back into the kingdom. And then there's the battle with angst. You know, it's so easy for us just to angst over, over people who have walked away from the Lord. And of course, that's understandable. And it's especially difficult when someone walks away from the Lord and it just seems like they're never going to come back. They're never going to come back to church. They're never going to come back to community. They're never going to return to what they knew was the truth. And now for some reason, they, they choose not to. Really easy to angst over that. And yet, God tells us that he wants us to have joy. Be joyful always, is what First Thessalonians 5 says. Which doesn't mean we pretend things are better than they are. We never have to do that. And the Bible never tells us to do that. But angsting over someone who has wandered away isn't real helpful either. But then, finally, we can default to apathy. Oh, well, okay, they've made their choices. And we can go the route of our cancel culture that's all around us where we just write people off. But we can't respond that way. And the reason I, I feel passionate about how these things don't work is I've lived all of them in the arc of my relationship with my parents in particular. So, who is that wandering person for you? Who is that person who, it seems like they knew the Lord, or they said they knew the Lord, who, is, who has walked away from Him? They've walked away from community. They no longer come to church. They don't believe the Bible. They say they don't believe in Jesus. Your spouse, parents, kids, grandkids, neighbors, friends. We probably all have someone like that. Or maybe in your heart of hearts, it's you. I mean, obviously you're, you're in range of my voice, either online or in the room here. So to your credit, you're still wrestling with things, but you know in your heart that, that you're beginning to wander yourself. Understand that it's not coincidence that you're hearing about the Lord's love for you and his heart for you again this morning. That is him pursuing you through this time, through the people around you. He wants you back. He's calling you back. The question is, will you respond and one of the historic problems, historic struggles for people who wander is they feel like they've wandered too far away and there's no coming back. I've had a number of conversations, not just as a pastor, but in my other relationships with people over the years who have said, yeah, but you know what, I, I've just, I've gone too far. God doesn't want me back. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know how I've lived. And there's this shame and this unworthiness that's just a weight around their neck. And it's a historic problem because it's the same problem that Jesus talks about in his story of the prodigal son. Do you remember when the son comes back after he's embarrassed and shamed and wronged his father in so many innumerable ways? 
he has the audacity to come back to his dad and to ask for him to forgive him. But do you remember what he says? He says, I'm not worthy to be your son. And what does the father say? I'll take you back anyway. I, I, I forgive you. That's the heart of our God. You can always come back to him. If there is a voice in your head telling you you're too far gone or that person will never come back or it's impossible, that is not the Holy Spirit. That is the voice of the evil one who wants to keep you as far away from God as he possibly can. And one of the antidotes to that is this. It's embedded in this passage and it's easy to read by it. But it says, if that person has sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I'm not going to spend too much time on that first part because Gary talked about this last week and I really encourage you to go back and listen to that excellent sermon. But I do want to zero in on where it says to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is so fundamentally important for us to do with with one another. Some years ago, um, I met with this this couple where... um, they were married, and one spouse had betrayed, betrayed the other, had been unfaithful to the other one. And they were beginning to work that through together. And I remember the spouse that had been betrayed, it was just one of those defining moments where they looked at their spouse and said, I, I choose to forgive you for what you've done. And it was just a beautiful moment. But I encouraged that spouse to go one step further and to say, not only do I forgive you, But in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Because I think there's something fundamentally important that this passage is talking about in regards to prayer and in regards to confessing our sins to one another. That you don't have to be a pastor to look someone in the eye and validate God's forgiveness and to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. That is so fundamentally important and that is the basis of what James is talking about here is we have this place with one another and with wanderers to speak God's forgiveness into their life based on who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. That they are forgiven. We all need to hear that. And it's important how we do that. You know, in Galatians, Paul said this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... They've wandered. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. There there is a wisdom piece for this. But there is this, this attitude, this idea, this reality of perseverant prayer. That the healing God offers us, the healing that's being talked about in this passage, isn't just physical healing for someone who is sick. It's spiritual healing for the spiritual sickness of selfishness and sin that we all have and no one is too far to be beyond God's reach and his grace and his forgiveness but it means perseverance on our part and I know we've talked about this before but as I was reading through James again this morning he starts with talking about the reality of perseverance and he's ending here about the reality and the necessity of perseverance this is about especially in the context here of praying for someone over the long haul who is that person that you have prayed for again and again and again, day after day, 
week after week, year after year. Especially that person who has walked away or wandered away from the Lord. And as many of you know, for me, one of those main, the people I prayed for were my parents. I literally prayed for them every day, without exception really, for 40 years. You ever prayed for someone like that? You ever prayed for someone that long? That consistently? Man, talk about perseverance. And I'm not patting myself on the back. Probably all of us have someone like that in our lives. The point being that it took a lot of years for God to do his work. And sometimes God will take a lifetime to work in someone's life. And so we faithfully, perseverantly continue to pray for them as God pursues them. And my friends, we are a church that believes in perseverance. We really do believe in this. We have done years and years and years of vacation Bible schools here at Grace. We've invested, we've prayed, we have given. So many of you have sacrificed in so many ways. There were a number of folks who this was their only week of vacation and they chose it to serve, they chose to use their only week of vacation this summer serving at VBS this last week. And, and these are some stats on what happened this last week. We had 321 kids between the two, between the two sessions and 147 volunteers, and we raised over $1,000 for Faithful Friends, which is a mentoring program here in our community. And we know of at least 20 kids who made a decision either to receive Jesus or to go deeper in their relationship with Jesus. I'd say that was a pretty good week. That's pretty exciting. But the fruit of that is years and years and years of faithfulness by this church, by this community, by you, to reach into this community with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so many people I talk to, so many people I talk to have been involved in vacation Bible school for years and years and years. And one of those stories that I heard that was so powerful and meaningful to me, and I'll invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up as we prepare to respond in, in music worship, was one of our young adult students, our young adult servers. She has grown up here at this church and was a kid in VBS and now you know, was serving as a young adult and investing into the lives of, of kids just like had it been true for her. But I hadn't seen her for a while. And we began talking about that. And she said, yeah, you know, prior to just recently, I'd wandered away from the Lord. And I told her what we were going to talk about here this morning out of James. And she said, oh, yeah, I totally get that because that was me. For some years, I wandered away from the Lord. I got into a friend group that was not a good influence on me. And I basically walked away from the Lord. And it was the people around me, my parents and my friends, who pursued me, who loved me, who prayed for me, who let me doubt and struggle, but who were a presence and who were there. They're the reason why I'm back here. I've returned to the Lord. Man, I love Him. And I'm here this week because He has changed my life once again. But it's because there were people around me who wouldn't let me get too far away. They loved me, they prayed for me, they pursued me. That is what we're called to do and to be as a church. 
And so this morning, as, as we celebrate a God who pursues us, who comes looking for us when we wander, we remember what he's done for each one of us, that this is our story, and that's what compels us to go after those who have walked or wandered away from him. So off to the sides, we have, uh, have communion for you. I would encourage you as part of this, this worship that you, you grab communion and you remind yourself of what the Lord has done for you. We need the Lord and we need each other. And God designed us for our heads and our hearts to work together. And part of any spiritual journey is there are seasons where you will have questions, you will have struggles, you will even have doubts. And we just want to encourage you that this is a safe place to do business with those. To your credit, you're still listening to, to the word of God and you're still doing business with that. And we just, we just want to commend that and encourage that. And any one of us here are available to you to come alongside and to listen and to, and to do whatever we can to help you know this amazing God who pursues us again and again and again. In Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament, verses four through six, it says this about Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. But it is by his wounds that you are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This God pursues us and pursues us and pursues us. And that's what we do with those around us who are struggling or who have wandered. So my encouragement to you is to persevere, to pray, and to pursue. Many of you know this, but some of you probably don't have a frame of reference for my constant allusions to my parents. They both passed away in the last two years, and both of them in the final days, literally of their lives, chose to stop wandering and to come to the Lord. Not every story works out that way, but I can tell you that for 40 years, I prayed for them, I pursued them, and I persevered, and you can do the same. So let me pray his blessing over you. God, thank you for each person who is listening to this, each person who is here. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who first loved us. You are the God who pursues us. It's never too late to come back to you. It's never too late to stop wandering and to choose to return to the one who loves us and knows us and has died and rose again to free us. Lord, would we remember what you have done for us and would we now go live that reality out to those around us? Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're with us. We pray this in your name. And God's people said, amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for sermon audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.